Welcome to the Big Three Podcast. This podcast answers three big questions raised from Sunday's sermon by the Congregation of Gymere Baptist. The Big Three Pod seeks to discuss these questions, explore issues, unpack theology, provide further information and explanation to help your faith grow. You can listen to the original sermon on your favourite podcast platform or at gymerebaptist.org.au. Our prayer is that this pod helps you as you follow Jesus. Well, welcome back to The Big Three. I'm your host, Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at Gamia Baptist Church, and I'm delighted that you've chosen to listen in again to The Big Three podcast, an opportunity for us to continue the conversation from Sunday into our week. Uh, last Sunday, we launched our theme for the year, which is Our Extraordinary Life Together, or Our Extra ordinary life together, if that makes a little bit of sense of the of the language of it. An opportunity for us to consider how all that we have in common uh, in terms of our humanity, um, our vocations, um, our family lives, and, uh, and kind of all that we do is made extraordinary because of the shared mission that we have in Jesus. It was kind of a, a one-off sermon at this point in time. We're going to be returning to it over the course of the year, but I reflected a little bit on uh, the unity and the challenges that we have uh, as as communities of faith to be unified, that, that that's always been a difficulty for us. Uh, and yet we are unified primarily not by what we do in terms of the activities or the, the beliefs or the practices that we engage in, uh, but essentially because of the calling that God has given to us. I'm looking forward to exploring that theme a little bit more over the course of the year, uh, but it was a, a great place to start, I think, at least from my perspective, uh, to help me uh, help us begin to think together. And, and hopefully, if you were there or were able to listen to it, you feel invited on the journey as well. I don't feel in any way, shape or form that I uh, presented answers for us uh, as much as it was to kind of share some of my own questioning uh, around uh, how it is that we can more effectively be the family of God, the community of faith here at Gamia Baptist Church. So we've got uh, some questions again. So thank you to those of you who have submitted these. Uh, the opportunity for us to engage around them. Uh, and uh, the, the three questions that we're going to be looking at today are these. Uh, where is the line between accepting Jesus into our lives and receiving the calling of God? Do they overlap? Is the calling of God only for Christians? Which is a wonderful question uh, to kind of think through, not only what it means for us as followers of Jesus to have the calling of God, but where does that sit in the wider world? So I'm looking forward to answering that, or at least having a crack at it. I'm not sure answering is, is exactly what I'll be doing. Reflecting on it is probably the best way to say it. Uh, secondly, in Ephesians 3.10, God's wisdom is shown specifically through the church. What does it mean to be the church, even if we're not gathered? And is that possible? Uh, and again, a great question for us, because ultimately, while there's a certain degree of um, commonality uh, when we gather together, right? That's one of the places where we have a bit of an opportunity, to, at least to express our unity, right? We gather together uh, for worship services and we you know, hear the word and we uh, sing songs of praise and uh, we're led in prayer together and you know, all those other things that kind of go into making up a body. But we spend a great deal of our time, you know, at the very least, I was, I was going to say six sevenths of our week someplace else, but it's much more than that because we don't really spend all day together on the Sunday. So what does it mean for us to be the church when we're not together? It's a huge question, a really significant one for discipleship. And again, looking forward to reflecting on that. 
And the third question is, how could the unity and community of the church be improved if, as a community, we were better able to confess our faults to one another and focus on actively restoring and renewing repentant people rather than condemning, removing, or leaving them to, quote unquote, serve time? Uh, so the three very different questions that uh, touch on our unity, uh, our mission, our relationships with one another, and uh, really looking forward to reflecting on them with you and hopefully continuing the conversation from Sunday. So let's get into it. So as I said, the first question is this, what's the line or where is the line between accepting Jesus into our lives and receiving the calling of God? Do they overlap? Is the calling of God only for Christians? So, you know, it is kind of a, a multi-pronged question, uh, which is which is, which is is great. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to reflect a, little bit, reflect a little more broadly. I think initially, you know, as, as, I, um, as I consider the question, I think it is important to see that they do overlap, that they are, in fact, the same thing, that when we place our faith in Jesus, uh, that we receive the call of God, or when we receive the call of God, we place our faith in Jesus. They're kind of two sides of one coin. And I think for... Um, I think for many, uh, I was going to say for many Christians, but I think in, in terms of the way in which the church has often spoken about discipleship. We have somehow managed to sever those two, right? So you can put your faith in Jesus, but there's no real need to be uh, involved in the mission of God or to see the calling of God as having anything to do with you in your life. And some of that has to do with um, our perspectives on, on, on heaven, right? This idea that we were uh, not so much on heaven, uh, but on the purpose of our salvation, that's probably a better way to say it. It's not so much, um, yeah, it's not so much kind of heaven itself as if, as when we make heaven the purpose. So let me kind of clarify what I mean. If God has saved us in order that we might be with him in heaven and, and that were the only purpose that he had for us, then there's no real need for us to be involved in the mission of God on earth, right? I mean, you can see the connection between those things, and I, I think it's, we'd be hard-pressed to suggest that we shouldn't, but it, you, you can see that if all I have been saved for, which is probably to overstate it, but if all I've been saved for is just to be with God in heaven, then once I am saved, that purpose is shall we say, on its way to being completed. Uh, if, however, I have been saved to participate with what God is doing, then that's a very different focus. And it draws those two things together. Then the place faith in Jesus is not just to place faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins that restores me in relationship with God and grants to me eternal life, but it also incorporates the very call of God to participate with him in his ongoing plans to renew and restore all things in Christ Jesus. Right. Uh, and, and I think that general calling then is very much overlapping with uh, placing our faith in Jesus. They need to kind of be one and the same. Uh, and I think one of the changes, just if I can, you know, kind of digress for a moment, I think one of the 
the shifts in how we talk about uh, discipleship and about evangelism is to draw those two things closer together. I reflected a bit on this last week in um, in the Big Three, but the idea being that um, evangelism is really just the first stage of discipleship for someone, right? As we start beginning to talk about Jesus and about the claims that he makes and about the teaching that he made and people begin to follow after him, their discipleship begins, shall we say, earlier than it used to. (laughs) You know, it used to be that it wasn't until you kind of placed your faith in Jesus and said the prayer that your discipleship began. I think we're beginning to see that discipleship starts as soon as people begin to follow after Jesus or express some interest in following after Jesus. Uh, And I think that that incorporates this kind of wider sense of calling, which I think is really important. This, the third part of that question, I suppose, is, is the calling of God only for Christians? And uh, this is, this is I, I guess this is a teaser, but we're about to start a four-week series about vocation. And vocation is a, a broader term uh, than just paid work, right? It's kind of things that we spend our time doing. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, integrating our vocation in our faith. And I've been reflecting um, in preparation for Sunday on Psalm 8 and the role that humanity is given in, uh, in the plans and purposes of God. And then reflecting, as the psalm does, on uh, the opening passages of Scripture before the fall when uh, humanity is created to, to rule and to have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, right, to, to subdue the world. Uh, and uh, in some of the reading that I've been doing a couple of the authors have just noted that those mandates, right, to bring order out of chaos, uh, to make the world suitable for human beings and for their uh, their flourishing, that that mandate was given to all humanity. And yes, it has been uh, fractured by the fall, and we tend not to always be acting in God's best interests for humanity, but for our own best interests, or whatever the case might be. But there is a sense in which all humanity is called to that vocation, whether they uh, know it or not, or whether they actively participate or not, whether they uh, kind of have faith or not. Psalm 8 uh, is not written to um, uh, just Israelites. So it's that passage that reflects on you know, the majesty of the Lord that fills the earth. And the psalmist says, when I think of your uh, created order, when I think of the moon and the stars, all the things that you did, what is humanity that you think of them? Right? It's, that's that passage. He doesn't talk about what is the nation of Israel or what are the children of Abraham that you would think about them. He speaks of all humanity. So there is a, there is a sense, I think, that uh, there is a calling that is waiting for all of humanity to step into. Now, that's, of course, where you would have to, to kind of pull those two things apart uh, in terms of faith and the overall calling. Because there are some people who might very well be participating in that um, universal and general vocation, just as there are people who might live wisely, even though they haven't placed any faith in God himself or in his son, Jesus. So, so I think it's a great question and it creates a space, I think for us to, um, to speak to people about involvement in the plans and purposes of God prior to them placing their faith in Jesus. Uh, so again, last week when we were reflecting a little bit on secularism, I think that there's space for us to start encouraging people to see um, their involvement in bringing order out of chaos 
uh, to um, enable human flourishing, that that is actually part of the divine mandate, the divine call, that it's part of what we can do as part of God's plans in the world as a stepping stone to then exploring the person of Jesus, uh, which I think is, is very exciting. Uh, so I'll, I'll stop there and uh, move on to the next question, uh, lest I kind of ramble and ramble and ramble. Uh, but a great question to ask and a really, a really interesting way for us to think about a discipleship uh, and, and, and even about, uh, I guess, evangelism uh, in terms of how we engage with our wider community. The second question is this, in Ephesians 3.10, a passage that I referred to briefly on Sunday, God's wisdom is shown specifically through the church gathering. What does it mean to be the church even if we're not gathered, and is that possible? And this is a question that um, like it kind of leapt off the page at me a little bit uh, as uh, once I printed them off, um, because I think it's one of the one of the most critical questions that we as, as the church, not just as Gami Baptist Church, but the church in the West need to, need to grapple with. And the reason why it's so close to my heart is, uh, broadly speaking, because of what became apparent during COVID. Um, during those long months when we were not able to meet together in person, it, it became very, very clear how much of our, um, our congregational care, how much of our uh, sense of community, uh, how much of our discipleship was dependent upon Sunday gatherings. Uh, that, was the, that was the place where we kind of checked in on people, right? Uh, have you seen so-and-so? No, they haven't been at church for a few weeks. Well, I hope everything's okay. So it was based broadly on have we seen them at a Sunday service? Uh, Sunday services were the place where we put a lot of uh, emphasis in terms of our ongoing discipleship. And, you know, it's good to be together and you should be in church and all those sorts of things. Uh, and similarly, I think uh, a lot of our sense of community was wrapped around um, gathering together. That's the place where you can build friendships and all of those sorts of things. And what COVID revealed is that while Sundays are really valuable, I mean, there's a reason why Christians have been gathering for 2000 years, right? There's something really important about being together that we needed to expand our repertoire of how we cared for people. We needed to expand our repertoire about what it meant to be a community. We needed to expand our repertoire around what it meant for us to be discipling people as a community of faith. And, and so this question of how are we the church when we're not gathered together is really important because I believe that we are, we are the community of faith. We are the church, even when we're not gathered together. It's not as if we, um, we are individuals who then return. And once we're all in and we kind of hit critical mass that then we can say, yes, we're the church. And then everyone leaves and we're not, it's a little bit like, it's a, well, it's a little bit like being family. Uh, whether my family is all together in one room or not, we're still family. I'm still part of the family. We just aren't all together. I can talk about my family and the things that our family does and the things that we're going to be doing. I can describe the individuals within it, but we are not necessarily together all the time. So how we go about doing that, I think, is a, is a really big question. And again, I don't know that I have very many answers. Um, I think part of it for me, you know, particularly given the theme that we're exploring, has to do with um, 
that desire and investment in the success of the enterprise when we are not there. You know, I mentioned uh, being part of a, a hockey team, uh, and when I'm not able to get to a game, I'm, I'm invested in the outcome. I want to know whether we won or whether we lost, and, and it's quite deliberate how I say that, right? I wanted to know whether we won or we lost, even though I wasn't there. Technically, it wasn't me who was part of the we who won or lost. I can't take credit for the win. I can't take blame for the loss. However, because I'm part of the team, like that's how I would describe it. Did we win? Uh, who scored? Uh, what happened? How did the game go? Um, and, and I think that that sense of investment, even when we're not able to gather together, is actually fairly important. And again, this is where, you know, I mentioned uh, it's our, our unity comes from the call that God has given us, not the things that we do. Um, the things that we do don't create that community. The things that we do maintain that community. And so I think there's some some practices that we can engage in when we are not together. You know, everything from just being aware of what's happening in the life of the church and making sure that there are a few things that we're praying for that connect us to the body of Christ here um, that we do prioritize being part of a life group uh, and being together when we can be together, that we're invested in the success of what we are engaged. And I think some of those sorts of practices can be very useful to maintain that. But I'm still at a bit of a loss to know how we decentralize our community and our care and our discipleship away from Sundays. Uh, because Sundays is the one time when we gather together uh, and we don't get everybody who's part of our community of faith at every single gathering. Um, but it's the kind of the one place where you can communicate with the most people uh, and we can talk about things together and we can, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's a great question. Uh, you know, I think that it is possible for us to be the church even when we're not gathered together even if we're not gathering together. Um, but, you know, I want to affirm that gathering together is really important. Um, and yet, and yet somehow we need to find ways to, to, to diversify, to decentralize, to increase the load bearing walls that support who we are as a community of faith. Uh, and, you know, I think for, for us, one of the big things that we're going to be encouraging people to do this year is uh, to get into a life group. Uh, so one of our goals this year is to make sure that more and more people are connected to who we are as a community of faith in a life group an opportunity for them to know people so they have that relational connection, which is so important, while at the same time being able then to consider what it means to be committed to the mission that we're on uh, about as a community of faith. So that, that's that's one of the things that we can do when we're not gathered together uh, in kind of the biggest kind of form, uh, but certainly gathered together in smaller forms, which I think is a really helpful sort of thing. Uh, so again, again, I, I wish I had more answers in that space and really want to encourage you, you know, if you're listening and regardless of whether you're at Gamia Baptist Church or uh, another community of faith, that you're thinking these things through as well and considering what it means for us uh, to, to be seven day a week Christians. And it, well, no, let me, let me rephrase that to be a seven day a week church. Uh, I think we've often talked about that as kind of being open 24 hours <laughs> or seven days a week. Uh, but what does it mean for us to be believers, a community of faith? seven days a week. How, what does that actually look like for us? It's, it's a great question and uh, one that I'm sure that we'll come back to over the course of the year. But let's get into the third question.
question is um, uh, this. How could the unity and community of the church be improved if, as a community, we were better able to confess our faults to one another and focus on actively restoring and renewing repentant people rather than condemning, removing, or leaving them to, quote-unquote, serve time? And uh, this is... it's looking at community from obviously from another angle, another perspective, but I think it's a really helpful one um, to consider what it means for us to, to be that um, restoring and renewing community. Right. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a tough one though. It's a tough one. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a difference between um, individual failure um, and shall I say leadership failure. Uh, th- those are quite different. So let me ad- address them a little bit, a little bit in that sense. So I think our unity and community would be greatly strengthened if we found ways for us to confess our faults to one another. Uh, I think that would be, that'd be a really, really good thing for us to do. Um, you know, for us to, I think we all know the value of being held accountable for things. We might not like it all the time, but we know the value of it, right? If, if someone is going to ask me how I'm going with that particular virtue that I'm working on, or if we want to be negative, the vice that I'm seeking to become a virtue, right? Um, then I'm, I might be just a little bit more aware of my actions and my attitudes and the attempts that I'm making so that when I am asked, I can kind of give a rec- an account of what I'm doing. There's something valuable in that. And to be able to say to somebody, you know, I mean, there's a long tradition of this, of course, in, in, uh, in, in Christian circles, in Christian denominations, in the Christian tradition of not just um, confessing sins, but of then being reminded that those sins are forgiven. Uh, that, that's great power in that, right? It's not just kind of confessing to each other that, oh, yeah, we, we failed again, or uh, we didn't do as well as we had hoped or as, we, as well as we had wanted. But it's also about hearing those great words of absolution, right? That, you know, your sins are forgiven, uh, that you are forgiven, and that all of your failures uh, have been nailed to the cross. Uh, they are, are gone, right? The consequences of those have been wrapped up in Christ's death uh, and, and, and resurrection. So I think that there'd be wonderful value in finding ways to do that. I, d- I don't think that that's something that we do, obviously, in our corporate gatherings. I'm not even convinced that it's something that we would do in life groups. But if there were one or two people, you know, if we had little prayer triplets or whatnot that we were able to facilitate where there would be that opportunity for individual accountability, confession of sin, uh, encouragement uh, of forgiveness and encouragement just to continue to follow after Jesus. I think that would strengthen our unity and community and it would strengthen it because it would be reminding us of a central fact that we are forgiven and it would be uh, enabling us to kind of drop the mask a little bit, right? To be a little bit more vulnerable. I think vulnerability is an enormous um, uh, and really helpful ingredient to community, right? Where there's that appropriate level of vulnerability where we're able to acknowledge that, you know, at least in the, in the church, right? We don't have it all together. Uh, and that it's okay not to have it all together because Jesus, right? So I think that, that at that level, that'd be enormously helpful for us. And the question about leadership failure is, is a trickier one. Um, you, one of our values that we, we talk about fairly frequently at Gaimia is to be trustworthy. Um, and to be trustworthy is really a a value that's focused towards our community. Um, you know, we want to be trustworthy within our community of faith, obviously to be a, uh, a place of safety, 
uh, where people can explore what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and so we want to be very careful about that in terms of our internal activities, but it's to some degree focused externally. We, we want the world to know that we are, well, we're safe, uh, that we um, are doing the best that we can to make sure that people are cared for. And that's in everything to, to how we maintain our buildings, to how we uh, check um, our volunteers, to how we train them, to all that sort of stuff. When it comes to those in leadership, um, that external focus is actually a pretty important one. Um, I think when uh, leaders fail in particular, the, 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 the breach of trust um, is actually quite su- substantial. Um, Unfortunately, I think we're all aware of some of the high-profile church leaders who have um, have failed, uh, and whose failures have come to light. Um, and in a couple of instances that I'm aware of, um, some of those leaders before their um, before their failures have been uh, adequately dealt with. You know, in one instance, while they're still it's still progressing through the courts, because that's how bad it is, they have launched a new ministry, kind of doing the whole, hey, we're forgiven peace. And so let's just kind of get on with it. Yeah, I'm broken and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, there's still value here. And and while I I, I suppose I agree at another level, I'm just like. Uh, read the room, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, uh, there's less and less appetite in our wider society uh, for that kind of behavior. And we need to balance that, right? We need to be people of grace and seeking to restore. And so I think there are some, um, some components of how we um, help people in that process of restoration. And some of it, some of what makes it so messy is I think every situation is, is quite different. Uh, so you can't just kind of have a cookie cutter format of, you know, wait this long and do these two things and then we're good to go. Um, there needs to be some sort of wider process. Now, I think, you know, in answer to the question that if we were um, better able to address the failure, um, because I think that's a really important part of being trustworthy, but if we were able to address the failure in really clear and significant ways, in order that those who are forgiven, right, long before we forgive them, right, uh, Christ died once for all, right, there's, there's forgiveness that has kind of pre-existed their failure, but those who have been forgiven and who are repentant might begin the process of restoration. How we, um, how we mark out a path of restoration that demonstrates trustworthiness, I think becomes a really important piece, right? Again, you know, the, um, the Royal Commission uh, demonstrated how quickly the church and other organizations kind of passed over uh, reports uh, or passed over accusations or just covered them up. And so we have to be really aware that in our day and age in particular, there, as I said, there's less appetite for really, really quick and swift restoration. Um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard to make sure that that's the case. Uh, but it, but it is, I think complicated in our, in our current context. So how we do that in a way that 
demonstrates trustworthiness as well as compassion to those who have failed, those who are repentant, because those who are repentant, well, you know, we, we want to see restoration, right? Uh, we want to see them restored. But how we go about doing that in ways that really demonstrates our trustworthiness, um, our care for those that we are serving, I think that that becomes the real tension point. Um, and, and again, I think that it would, it would demonstrate a key value of our community, um, of any Christian community, right, of grace and restoration uh, and renewal, right, the plans and purposes of God in and of themselves. Um, and so there, there would be benefit for that in, in our wider community and even in our sense of unity in that space. Um, although those, you know, those kind of big failures can often have really devastating consequences for communities of faith, uh, can be quite divisive in some ways as well. That was a really complicated question, so I wanted to kind of tackle it because I think that there's something really valuable, particularly even in just thinking about it from an individual perspective. I think the leadership question is is a trickier one, but one that I think as a, as a church community, and again, I talk about that more broadly than just GBC, we, we really do want to be addressing as best we can. So I hope that uh, those three questions uh, were as engaging for you as they were for me. I really enjoyed reflecting on them. Thank you again to those of you who uh, submitted those questions. I really look forward to, you know, this half hour or so uh, on a Wednesday when I get to reflect on some of these questions where I get to think a little bit about what we talked about on Sunday and consider their ongoing applications for us as a community face. So, so thanks heaps. Uh, just a reminder that you can catch up on uh, previous episodes and the sermons with which they are kind of companions uh, on our po- podcast platforms. Uh, and uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find those podcasts. Uh, this Sunday, we are, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, launching a new series around vocation. We've called it Good Job, the Restoration and Renewal of Vocation. Have, have a number of guests uh, who are going to be joining us over the next number of weeks, and I'm really looking forward to what they're going to contribute to our uh, ongoing thinking about how we uh, integrate our vocation, the things that we do with our time, be that paid work or care for our families or volunteering or whatever the case might be and integrate that with our faith. I'm going to be launching that this week, looking at the goodness of work, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, what I'm going to have the opportunity to share and reflect on and hope that it really begins to to shape our response uh, to our ordinary lives, our ordinary lives that, that are filled with vocation uh, and yet are made extraordinary in the invitation of God uh, to join him in his work. So look forward to seeing you on Sunday, uh, either on site uh, or online, or uh, if you're unable to be with us on uh, Sunday morning or Sunday evening uh, to uh, join us by listening to the podcast uh, and be part of the church, even though we are not gathered all together, as we've already discussed today as well. Uh, So I hope you have a great week. God bless and uh, hope to uh, have you tune in again next week for the big three. Thanks for joining us at the GBC Big Three podcast. We trust you found this inspiring, encouraging, challenging, but ultimately helpful to enable you to follow Jesus. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can also listen to the We Are The Church podcast, a discussion pod with real stories from real people at Gaimere Baptist as they share their experiences of faith and discipleship in action. If you've enjoyed this pod, why don't you rate and review it? This way others can discover the podcast too. Thank you.